compassion could save my heart Who knew that these feelings had a name I'm worthy of change, same as you are Mirror, mirror, don't you judge me Don't you dare Who knew I was capable of loving who was there Staring back, I said staring back and welcome to the Transitional Wisdom Podcast, where Nash and I discuss all things trans and queer related from a variety of different perspectives. Today we have a very special guest we'd like to introduce. Hi everyone <laughs> in the internet listening. My name's Cassandra James. Um, I'm an actress. I live here in Los Angeles, California. I was born here actually, and I, I grew up in Canada. So I grew up in Vancouver, Canada and moved, I studied acting in Toronto. Um, and I moved back to LA a couple years ago. Um, I am a proud Asian American transgender woman. My pronouns are she, her, and you may call me goddess as well. <laughs> yeah, I like it. If, if the mood strikes. <laughs> the mood strikes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and I guess part of my my bio in the context of this podcast would maybe to talk be to talk a little bit about my transition. Um, I've been living full time since November 2015, so I'm coming up on what is that three yeah. three years? Wow. Yeah, um, I started a medical transition May of 2016. Um, and I'm comfortable talking about, you know, what I haven't had not done. I have had, uh, I'm, I'm on hormone replacement therapy and I had breast augmentation a year ago. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to share anything about either of those experiences? Yeah. I mean, we can get, we can talk about that, but I guess, uh, so after that I moved, I've been here and, um, I have a reeker on the soap opera general hospital. Yes. So I, yeah, yeah, it's cool. So I, um, I guess I kind of got my start. I, I did theater mostly in, uh, that's what I studied in university. And so when I graduated, I stayed in Toronto for a couple years and did, um, theater out there. And, the, but my goal was always to do film and TV. So, um, it's interesting, you know, when I think about my transition, I, I really feel like I had to transition in Canada and, and kind of, I, I, started traveling back and forth to LA and really loved it here and and for and missed my home like I was born here so California really does feel feel like home but when I look back on that time and like also when I chose to move here I I really think that I needed I needed to to come out and and do that somewhere that was not Hollywood um so I kind of did that and then moved here and um one of like I got to do something really cool that was kind of maybe like a breakout in the industry. I got to perform at the Oscars last year. Okay. How was um, that? A friend of mine was friends with the choreographer, so I performed "This Is Me" with Kiala Settle. 
I love that yeah. song. Like, if there's any song I feel like is, like, my trans anthem, that's uh-huh. not for trans people necessarily. Totally. It's that song. But it is. Right. You know, um, I was definitely a diversity hire, but that's okay. <laughs> I was I was happy to tick that box. I mean, it was crazy because they, you know, they said that, um, oh, you know what's funny? I'm actually not supposed to use the phrase, the Oscars, like, oh, okay. but it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> it's fine. But, you know, it's, it's very corporate that moment. Okay. But they said... Um, you know, the, the, the choreographer was like, oh, well, like, we want, you know, like, a choir of, of the people, you know. And they said that they couldn't find any trans, like, dancers or, like, actors. And I was like, how hard you look? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, but, I mean, it worked out for me because um, I was the only, I was one of, I made history that night. So, me, Janet Mock, and Daniela Vega were the first three trans people to ever take the stage at the Oscars oh that night. God. Yeah. So that. there were three of us in one night. Yeah. That's amazing. Daniela Vega was the first trans person to ever present an award. Okay. Um, and Janet and I both were in musical numbers. So she was with Andre Day in Common and I was with Kiala Settle. So that was a pretty cool night. And then after that, I got an agent and not because of the Oscars. It just okay. all kind of, I believe in kind of like karmic energy I was just kind of riding that wave and and I auditioned for General Hospital I had three auditions for that and then I booked it so here I am yeah I'm the first trans uh actor to play a trans character on a major soap and how's that feel amazing yeah 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 Yeah, I uh there's been uh, you know um Sorry, not on a major soap, on General Hospital. Okay. Um, so there is an actor who's currently, there's a transmasculine actor whose name escapes me. I'm so sorry. It's not. It's Scott Turner Schofield. I just made that up. <laughs> I think his name is Scott. I should really know. This is bad. This is bad. You can put in the, like, the computer voice, like, insert name here, you know? Oh my god! I hope he I hope he never hears that. But there's there's a transmasculine actor who's on Bold and Beautiful. I think he has a recur on that show. And then um, my sister Candace Kane had an, a character arc on another soap many years ago. So you know our presence has been in that world, but not at this level. So um, yeah, it feels amazing. I'm really excited. Do you feel like you have have you had any issues like in the acting world as a trans actor? Actress? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so, you know, so <laughs> um, after I booked General Hospital, um, the controversy with Scarlett Johansson happened when she accepted the role of a transmasculine person um, in the upcoming biopic called Robin Tug. And you know, our community really spoke out against that and she ended up pulling out of the project. Um, some I agree with some of my, my colleagues that I think it would have been more interesting if she had stayed on as a producer and maybe taken a supporting actor role. I think there was an opportunity. Yeah, I think there was an opportunity for it to be a teachable moment. And also, now that she's gone from the project, you know, the project has lost its A-lister. So um, is that biopic going to do as well? Is it going to reach as many people now that she's not part of it? Um, We don't know. We'll find out. Um, but the Hollywood Reporter is an amazing publication and they did a huge, um, feature. They interviewed 21 
or 25 um, trans actors in the industry and they did a whole spread and a whole photo shoot so I got included in that awesome. and there's a video and stuff on on their on their website I think that's that's that lives up there now and it was like a whole kind of feature instead of kind of talking to Scarlett nobody really needed to talk to her anymore um, they talked to us and we did talk a lot about everyone had different opinions and different things to say about you know, we talked a lot about the adversity we face and, you know, I think that it's absolutely imperative that trans actors play trans characters. Um, which is not to say that I don't believe in the power of the imagination. So I'm an artist. I also grew up doing theater and I think that, you know, I'm very aware that I play pretend for a living. Um, but we we can't deny what's happening politically in our country and in our culture and i think that unfortunately to not to not move towards more accurate representation causes more damage than you know sure and also i think i think that like the idea that trans People, you know, are that, that, oh, like, you know, this is, a, it's an imagined reality. So, like, why can't a cis person, like, you know, pl you know imagine and, and embody a trans character? I'm sure you can, you know. But the problem is there's no equity. So if there are only a handful of trans parts available to be played, you know, they're not really writing our stories yet at at the same rate. Um, so if there's only a, a small fraction of parts available to us, and then you're letting cis people play those parts. Exactly. Where is the work for us? You know, so uh, Trace Lissette did a, a round table for Variety and she said, listen, if I was in the same room as, you know, my cis, you know, coworkers, if I was getting cast you know, or even seen and was able to audition for this, you know, for, for everything, you know, if, if I had free reign over the room, then maybe I would have less of an issue with, you know, a cis actor telling my story, but that's not happening. So when we're being excluded from cis parts, you know, the only time that I feel like uh, producers and casting directors and directors are thinking about casting trans talent is when the narrative is trans. Yes. Right. So, you know, I think it becomes kind of like a challenge for them to think about, like, just having us be a man or a woman mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, because there's not every character is talking about their bodies. Not every character has sex. You know, like if, if you're having some kind of anxiety about like the sexuality of our, you know, the queerness of our bodies or whatever, like. The waitress who like brings so and so coffee, it doesn't. It's not. It's not relevant. It's right. never going to come up. Right. So you know, it's just. I think that that's just silly. Right. Yeah. Which makes me wonder. Do you, have you ever like in the role you're in? You know, just as being an actress in Hollywood, do you mm -hmm. ever deal with people who ask you these inappropriate questions because you are visible and out there, and they think because of that, yeah, they can just ask you whatever they want. I made a decision when I started coming out that, you know, I very early on gave myself permission to say no to any question, which then means 
I'm actually then giving you permission to ask me anything you want. Because if I don't want to answer, I won't. Um, that's something that I can do as a product of, you know, the amount of privilege that I'm moving through my transition with, you know, like I'm a very aware. So, um, it just became very imperative to me to be uh, like vulnerable and kind of like, um, an open book just because I know a lot of people can't be, you sure. know, and a lot of people, um, don't feel safe to be. And a lot of, and I understand that there's a lot of anger in our community and I know where it comes from, you know, sure. and the fact that I'm in a place where I'm not as dramatically affected by those, those realities as someone who, you know, is middle to upper class. I'm white passable. And I also pass as cisgender, mm -hmm. you know, day to day. You know, these are these are the privileges that I hold, you know. So um I have a I I believe and and to each their own, but I believe I had I when I came out, it was very clear to me that I had a responsibility, a social responsibility to do my best to represent my community mm -hmm. and also to acknowledge my privilege and, and make sure that I was using it to benefit the community and not just myself. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to interviews and, and talking about my transition, I'm pretty much an open book. Okay. Um, I've been pretty fortunate. People have been fairly respectful. Yeah. Um, also, like, I've written a lot about it on my social media. So yeah. if, you go, if you go digging, yeah. you can really find out pretty much everything about me. Yeah. Do yeah. you find that to be, uh, like, does that have any impact on your job in any way? Like, do you think that what you share on social media, does that do anything either positive or negative as far as... I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, you know, uh, I don't consider myself an influencer. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm an actress. I'm a storyteller. Um, but I do, I am starting to think about the idea of having fans, what, you know, and, and, and having a having people who are relating to my character and therefore, you know, are relating to me as an actress. And soap is funny because soap fans think I am her. Okay. <laughs> uh, all the ladies I work with watch those shows. So okay. I know how they get it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, so I, I like, for example, like I recently had a breakup in my personal life, which I spoke out about on my social media. And then the fans of the show were saying, oh, now Terry can have a romance in Port Charles. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, but <laughs> I could have had a romance. Terry could have had a romance. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's crazy how that works. Yeah. So, but I'm, I am starting to think about, you know, um, yeah, like the, 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 how my voice exists outside of just the work. Sure. It's an interesting time we live in. Yes. You know, this idea of social media and, and influencer, you know? Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. Let's do more of that. Yeah. You know, I think less selling of the fit tea. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know? Not a sponsor of this podcast, clearly. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's complicated. You know, I, I understand that, that, and what, well, you know, when I went, to, when I studied acting, I learned, you know, very quickly that there's for me I think that there's a difference between someone who identifies as an artist and someone who identifies as um, an actor someone who believes that they are a commercially viable performer sure you know sense. so in the same way I think that this new 
industry of social media, of influence, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think that there's probably two schools of thought around that as well. You know, like, are there influencers who believe in social justice and using their influence to create social change and, mm-hmm. and to promote vulnerability, authenticity? And then there are, are absolutely influencers who, who are doing this as their job, you know, and they're, that's what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think both are valid, you know. I know where I sit and what, yes. what you know, where I, where, what I want to do, mm-hmm. you know, but, that's just me. So I, I don't ever fault anyone for choosing, you know, to be commercially su- successful. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How about it? Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you your thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned your breakup, uh-huh. what can you talk to us about? Like, this is like kind of a random jump, but since you mentioned it, like, uh-huh. talk to us about how like dating has worked for you pre-transition, mm-hmm. through your transition. Now you said you've been on hormones for almost three years, right? Or close to three years. Yeah, two and a half years. Like what, how has that... Hormones are crazy. How has your dating transition with you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, so I, I guess it's important to say that, you know, I think that the, the narrative that we get taught a lot and that's reflected in media and in film and TV is that all trans people always knew. It's like, we get taught that little boys and girls like, mommy, mommy, I'm not a boy. I'm not a girl, you know? Um, and also that all trans people have extreme body and genital dysphoria. Yes. Okay. (laughs) This is what we're taught, you know, this is, and this is what we've seen. Trans. Trans. Yeah. So I, I, I'm neither of those things. I arrived in, into who I am today as, as a product of my experience. And mm-hmm. it felt like, it felt like a becoming, it felt like something that blossomed. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I comfortably identified as a gay man for many years, for most of my life, to be honest. Um, and I also, when I, I came into my transition through drag, actually, um, I used to perform. I used, that's what I did um, all throughout college or through university. And um, that, and I remember when I started going out in nightlife, you know, everyone was like, oh, are you a woman? You know, like the girls are always, I mean, you know, it's, uh, maybe you don't know, maybe people don't know, but you know, drag and, and nightlife and it's all, it's all very kind of like queer and sassy and, mm-hmm. you know, and so, yeah, I mean, if you've seen Paris is Burning, you know, like it's just, it's very, you know, everyone gave me a hard time. As soon as I started doing drag, they were like, oh, she wants to be a woman, you know? (laughs) And I was like, and my understanding was, but I don't wake up in the morning and hate certain parts of my body. Mm -hmm. So no, I'm, I'm not a woman. I must not be, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I say that to sort of tie into how I came out. I ended up dating, um, a straight identified cis man who was a stripper I love strippers. <laughs> I've, dated, I've dated three of them. Hey. Um, with that. N- well, here's the thing. It's like nightlife. So okay. it's like drag and like porn and stripping and like that whole world is like, they all, I felt like, I felt like sex workers and strippers and porn actors, they understand the, the idea of persona. Okay. In, and, and like when I was doing drag, it was kind of like, 
at that time, Cassandra, which was my drag name actually, um, you know, was a, was a character that I played. And so there was kind of, there's this interesting kind of understanding that like, that the, the character we play at the club is not who we are, right. you know, you. underneath. Right. And so I think that that's why I find a, a lot of times that like drag queens end up dating, you know, strippers or people who work in nightlife or whatever. Okay. So I dated this stripper who knew that I did not identify as trans, um, knew my dead name, but I was saved in his phone as Cassandra. So it was like, you know, and, and when it ended, um, I like I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me and I was like I was his girlfriend mm -hmm. holy shit yeah. and I was like what what about that was so right and I always felt like I always felt like the I mean the binary is so oppressive in so many ways and I always felt like I lived androgynously for many years. That was what how I identified um you know when I was doing drag nobody really saw me out of drag, but I was also not um, like patting my chest and I wasn't necessarily like tucking and like creating that silhouette all the time. So I was like, I just, but I had long hair and I kind of was like wearing like, you know, a lot of makeup mm -hmm. all the time. I love makeup. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I was like living androgynously and I always felt like for many, during that period, I felt like this kind of push to be a woman or to be feminine felt like something that I was experiencing culturally, like from the outside, that was something that was being applied to me, a pressure. Mm. And after um, he and I broke up, I felt like I wanted to meet the binary. Like I wanted to come towards it. It didn't feel like I was caving to binary pressure. It felt like I was ready to play that game to to like yeah to to meet it it's more comfortable to yeah exist in that space yes like that the androgyny no longer satisfied me it actually started to create discomfort mm -hmm. yeah um so i it's interesting a lot of my like significant sexual and romantic interactions in my life a lot of these men actually are straight identified now and were not when I was with them. So I always felt like, I, the joke is like, oh, like they all, they were all were dating Cassandra the whole time, right. you know, but I didn't feel that way. I didn't know, Basically. you know, but isn't that weird and interesting? Um, and then I think, you know, I, and I have to say, you know, like I have, there is, I'm moving, I moved through my transition with a great deal of privilege. You know, I think when I think about passing, I think it's a product of class privilege and genetic privilege. Mm -hmm. And I have access to both of those things. So, you know, I was able to afford hormones. Um, I've been able to have surgery. I also was able to go to Sephora and buy makeup that, you know, was allow, allowed me to play with femininity. I was allowed to, I was able to buy new clothes, you know, and, and express myself in a fluid way that was changing. Um, and then also like, I'm half Asian and my frame is a certain way. And when I came out, I started to pass right away. You yeah, know, it's affected your body different than will affect somebody else's. That's body. true I as well. Yeah. Important to know. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that the medical transition, the way that the hormones, you know, interact with your body, that's also genetic, mm -hmm. how that's going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, 
when I and when I came out, I started to pass right away, and and I think that unfortunately that means that I have also access to sex and romance and dating in a different way. Um, it's not great, you know. It's still hard out there. Um, you know, I'm I'm really tired of being a secret, you know, and and yeah. and dating on the DL. You know, it's something that is a deal breaker for me. I don't do that anymore. But I had a handful of very positive um, and affirming experiences when I first came out that I've carried with me, and I think were really really important. And I wish and I and I desire for our community for everyone in our community to have experiences like that when they first come out because to be affirmed in the body that I was becoming really kind of laid a, a very amazing foundation around self-esteem and, and self-worth. Um, I feel really fortunate to have been with a couple of men who were very affirming, very safe, very positive, because I know that that's not the case for a lot of us. And um, it can have long lasting effects to how you start to think about your whole identity, not just your physical body or your sexuality. You know, it can really affect how you view your transness. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe when you have the positive, did you feel like this is what I should be getting? So absolutely. Like, you were shown, like this yeah. should be the standard, not what I have been getting. Yeah. So kind of like made you like lift yourself up more in a way. Like this is what I expect. Totally. This is what I deserve. Totally. It hasn't been perfect. It yeah. hasn't been great, but I've been really fortunate. Mm -hmm. I've had some amazing partners. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, it took me a long time to really like this. So the relationship that I mentioned earlier, I kind of count as my first significant relationship since I came out. Um, I also use the word like traditional relationship because it was like we were boyfriend and girlfriend, which I'd never really had before. I felt like with him, it was like I wasn't waiting for it to start. Whereas a lot of times prior... When it ended, I was like, oh, did it, was it ever actually like a relationship? Like we never really, it would just, it felt like it never started. And with him, it, I felt like there was, there was something kind of understood that we were doing relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that, that there was going to be yeah. like a thing, that there was time that yeah. was going to be invested, mm -hmm. you know, whereas with before it was always kind of like, are we or aren't we? And then it would end and I'd be like, oh, we didn't. Yeah, okay. We, 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 yeah, didn't, we didn't. We didn't start that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that was really nice and I learned a ton and that was really affirming in a whole different way. Um, I think uh, he may have an opinion about this, but I think that there was, I, I think that there was pressure from, that I put on the relationship in terms of like the, the normalcy of it. You know, it was my first, like I thought of it as my first heterosexual relationship okay. and I think that there was kind of like, there was a lot of importance to me about like the way that it tasted and and looked and felt and um I tried to like be present with him but I I think that I felt myself getting really excited to be seen a certain way and to be normal in a way yeah which I think can be hard for the partner are, yeah who are not trans yeah the partner who's not because they don't really understand why it's so important right. to you. Why does this matter? Why, why it's so validating. Something like photos or something like why yeah. would that be important to one of a, you know, a trans person like yeah. in a relationship? So I definitely can understand how that would be a yeah. challenge to... Yeah, so I mean, it, it was... Also, I guess it's important to say that, you know, my transition has been quite binary. I I 
enjoy aspects of the binary, but I also understand how oppressive it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, it's like completely rooted in misogyny and it, and it really affects cis people as well, like yeah, so dramatically. Um, but yeah, there were certain aspects of our relationship that were so binary that like just were so yummy and yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, so I learned a lot. Um, yeah, so that was that's dating, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole minefield, you know. It's crazy because, you know, like I've I've used dating apps before, and and it's it's so crazy how cis men feel like they have such access to trans feminine bodies, you know that. And I always find myself really pushing, yeah. And I find myself really pushing back on that, and I'm like, do you ask? You know, the cis women that you match with on these apps, do you ask them questions about their genitals? You know, do you ask them about Mm -hmm. those kinds of things? Because I might not even ever want to have sex with you. So, like, what's your favorite movie? You know, like, what do you mean? Like, I don't even know what your name is. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I'm always like, let's, like, get together, you know? And then what they'll say a lot of time is like, oh, well, if you have or haven't had surgery, like, affects my attraction or yeah and i i don't know how i feel about that because you know i read i read i actually saw on like a trans instagram account a meme that said genital preference is not transphobic i don't know how i feel about that i don't know how i feel about you because i've seen something similar and like on one hand i agree but i also really disagree yeah, but I I think it's like I think that that sentiment is the same as saying like oh well like like me dating not dating black people is just a preference no, see, you know genital yeah. preference yeah. I'm like well where did you learn that yeah where did you learn that preference right. and and have you actually unpacked why you are adverse to um, genitals that don't look like what you've experienced or what you were taught are normal, beautiful genitals. You know what I mean? So like, I think that that is maybe where I think that actually it is transphobic. It might, it might not, you might not be transphobic, but you are participating in what I call like institutional transphobia. Just like you are not necessarily racist for not saying that you don't find black people attractive, but you are contributing and participating in institutional racism because you were taught by everyone yeah. and every media outlet that whiteness is beautiful, right. you know? For me, I think, it trans- I think what you're saying, like how that translates becomes racist or transphobic. Yeah. So like by saying you don't like this person because of their genitals, that, that becomes transphobic versus just saying, I'm really uncomfortable with like, sex in that type of way or something Mm -hmm. because i think that's valid like i think it's okay to not be comfortable with certain things just like like a cis man and a cis woman may you know the woman might not like certain sexual acts with a cis man yeah that doesn't mean that she's you know anti-men yeah but it just means that's not her preference is this one specific thing Uh so that's where i'm like yeah okay it could not be transphobic in that way but what you're saying like that is that's absolutely like transphobic yeah, so I I think that that's it's hard it's yeah. hard out there and and I so I also like you know I grew up in nightlife as I was saying like I love nightlife I love drag I love I love that whole world and I and I so I think a lot about when I think about dating now I'm always like well can, will you ever come into my world mm-hmm. 
you know? And if I can't picture you coming into my, into my queerness or in, or at least being able to like entertain that, those kinds of spaces or those kinds of people, I, I find that kind of maybe a deal breaker. So like in that way, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm like pretty binary, but like not, cause I really want you to be kind of cool with yeah. and down with being yeah. queer, yeah. <laughs> which I know is not the case for a lot of like passable, like trans women who like really just want like, you know, to go to the yacht club on this, on the weekends and drink mimosas, and you know, like <laughs> power to you, girl, power to you. <laughs> You know, and then the other thing is, I always find myself thinking, like, will you ever introduce me to your parents? It's, you know, yeah. you is know, or your was, bros, yeah. you know, like, can I go out and have beers with you and your buddies? Yeah. If if that's never going to happen, then this is, that's a problem. That before you transition, was that like a, something that you had in your head or is that new? Mm, uh, well, so moving to L.A., at the point in my transition that I did, I became like acutely aware of misogyny for okay. the first time. And so it's something that I've, I stumbled across inside my transition and also moving to Hollywood. Um, like coming out of Toronto. Yeah. Um, misogyny is real. Yeah. It's very pervasive yeah. and it's like, it's awful. Yeah. It's so crippling, yeah. you know? And I think that, you know, I think that, trans-identified people have a, have a really exciting perspective when it comes to misogyny because, you know, socialization is, is a, a part of many of our experiences. And so, you know, I can only speak for my own socialization. Like, I went to an all-boys private school, okay? So <laughs> there's definitely male privilege that I have tasted um, and accessed and embodied at certain points in my life. I also you know, was shamed for being femme my whole life. So how much of that did I really own? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was some there. And so it's been so tangible to feel and see that being literally violently taken away from me inside my transition notice it. people talking over me for the first time people tell you know not valuing my voice or my opinion people calling me emotional or crazy mm -hmm. instead of i mean these are all things that like unfortunately most cis women are socialized into accepting as their reality they don't they've never really uh, many women most women have not really tasted the other thing you know yeah. so they don't really they're not really taught they don't really they don't really feel intuitively what they're what they're being denied mm -hmm. and so i think that that trans women who may have been socialized male or have have benefited from a, an amount of male privilege have something to offer women kind you know or whatever and what that is is like these men, I know what they have mm -hmm. and they're trying to take it from you mm -hmm. and they're trying to make sure you don't access that. Well, I used to have it and I can see what they're doing, you know, and that's, I don't stand for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's about equity and, and that kind of thing. And I think similarly, like I find that trans men who may have benefited from, you know, divine feminine, having mm -hmm. some divine feminine in their life prior or also throughout their transitions have a lot to teach cis men Absolutely. around like apologizing to their their divine feminine inside you know yeah. and maybe reconciling with her a little yeah. bit you know i think that divine feminine 
you know, she's, we hurt her, you know, I think for thousands of years we hurt her, you know, and I think that we are suffering the repercussions of that now in culture today. So I think that that's something that I think is really beautiful about our community is that we can kind of like, we have perspective in a really so many perspectives. Yeah, right? yeah. In we a real... live like a hundred lives. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We went. We all went pee. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. People using the bathroom. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so, well, funny, st- funny thing yes, about so. <laughs> about tinkle time. <laughs> you know, I had more issues in the restroom before I came out when I was living androgynously because I felt like I needed to use the men's room because if anything were to ever happen, you know, my IDs and, you know, that couldn't come back on you. It it would always just be like, I could, I could prove where I, where you think I belong, you know? And, but what's been amazing is knock on wood. I, when I came out, I had, that's when I had no issues, you know? Okay. Again, as a product of my my privilege and my ability to pass, but you know, I I had I had so many problems with long hair. People just didn't understand. Yeah, yeah. See, and I feel like I have to code switch because I still use female restrooms. Okay. Because I do not feel comfortable in male restrooms. Yeah. That is just not an environment that I think I would ever feel comfortable in. Yeah. I've used a male restroom with you like once or twice. Right. That's the only time I felt like bro- comfortable and safe. Yeah. Oh, but that's the thing. Yeah. You so, know, like, I, like when I'm in the airport, I take my hair down. Mm-hmm. Like I put it like half in my face. Like I don't make eye contact when I go into the female restroom. Yeah, I'm not trying to have I remember a, that a mom walk up to me like you don't belong in here. Like I, I know. got kids in here. It's like well, technically I do if you want to go by what's in my pants. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like I don't feel comfortable in either. But then I also feel like I can't go into a family or a handicap stall because oh really? I'm taking, yeah, because I feel I like do that I, too. I'm taking space. No, you know, like I feel like oh, especially no. handicap. Okay, no, do it up. Do yeah, it up. Yeah. I had <laughs> I had all the like gender neutral or like all gender like washroom like handicap. I knew where they all were in the downtown core in Toronto yeah. when I was going to school. I knew where, and I actually did a play called the Queer Bathroom Stories that was basically this playwright. She was not a player. She's an, she's an academic, and she wrote a piece of academia about um, the bathroom, and she interviewed like I think like over 200 uh, queer identified uh, North Americans talking about the bathroom. Uh And then when she, you know, wrote this book, she felt like there was so, it was so rich in narrative that she couldn't, and and in academia, you can't really like, it's more about the facts. It's more about like the facts that she gleaned from all her data that she was like, oh, and she just wanted to go on, have an artistic, uh, uh, go on an artistic venture. And she wrote a play that I ended up acting in. Um, and it was like all about that, exploring that, that idea of like, you know, all of our different experiences in the bathroom, sex in the bathroom is huge, you know, and like for, for gay men, I think. Well, you know what blows my mind, and like I was just telling them earlier, like I've never experienced this in a city like LA, but at Griffith Park, and in Long Beach, there are these public restrooms that the stall door, there's, there's no doors. And the stalls themselves oh, are yeah. about four or so feet. I know. What? What? Like, yeah. I went to the bathroom at Griffith Park a couple days ago, and I literally, I walked it's in. It's scary. I walked in, and I, I stood in front of there, and I thought to myself, 
Thank God I had surgery. Yeah. Because I would have had to hold this bladder and get somewhere to, to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, how I... Why oh, yeah, that? that was one of the things, and I, I'll never quote her properly, but she she said one of her quotes was that the the bathroom acts like a leash for many queer people. Right. You know, that you can only go as far as your bladder... Right. You know, and Laverne has been so outspoken about that when she's talking about the bathroom, because basically all this legislation that which we will talk about, I'm sure tonight. But, you know, like all of this proposed legislation, what it is, it's what it's trying to do is is erase us from and, and, and keep us from accessing public space. So if you are not allowed, if, if it becomes impossible, if it becomes impossible for you to use a restroom that's not in your apartment, then you your job has to be close to your apartment. You know, you're, you know, everything, like then it's, it, you can't, you can't go out for more than three hours if you have to pee every, you know, right. then you have to, you have, so then your neighborhood becomes so much smaller or you've, you know, like. Your life in general becomes smaller. Yeah. And that's what, that's what this insidious intention of all of that legislation is. You know, they really want to deny us access to public space. They don't want us to be seen. They don't want us to be out in the world. Well, you they know? don't want us to be counted because if we don't exist, then why do we need protections and why do we need yeah. funding? You know, to understand like why why do why are LGBT people still not included on the census? Yeah, like ever because if we don't exist, if they can't gather our numbers properly, then they can say we don't need funding. Yeah, you know, we we don't need HIV and AIDS funding because you know. Uh, there's a very small percentage of people who live with that, or there, there's a very small percentage of gay people, or a very small percentage mm. of trans people. But when you take up all the small percentages, like for the majority, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So I guess while we were on the break, we were going to talk about yes, date more dating. Yes, talk to us more. People about love that. people love they, they love, love to talk it. about you that. You know, but so. I think like for me, one of the like, that topic to me is so important and interesting because like, it's very taboo. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very taboo. First of all, like we don't hear much about it. It's like mm-hmm. trans people don't date. Trans people are not in relationships. There's no, no love. There's no romance. There's no sex for us. Mm-hmm. Well, or we're like or, only sex. Right. It's over and we have sex. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're fetishized, or we are sex obsessed. It's like one extreme or the other. Yeah. I had so, someone that I was talking to on an app send me. We were we were sexting. I was participating, but he then sent me the porn that he was watching. Mm-hmm. I asked him to. I was like, oh, and I I don't watch trans porn. It mortified me because okay. I just felt I felt like, oh, I don't look like that. Uh, I, w- I will not behave in this way. I was like, I hope you don't think that this is what we're going to do together. It just really shocked me. Um, and I that's what, you know, I can only really speak from my experience. I, I do identify as straight. Um, so like I'm, I'm talking and dating, you know, with men. Um, so like, I think that like, that's, I think that men who watch trans porn and also like who, um, or or don't even watch porn, just like their experience of us, you know, so like sexualized, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and parts of our bodies are fetishized, you know, the hormones affect my body in a certain way. My my body looks different than it did before my transition. And a lot of times men want it to be the same, you know, as to before. Function to function it right. the way it did before and to do certain things. 
and it doesn't do those things anymore and I don't want it to so you know but it does it, that make you just worried that it doesn't or is that like you're, you're well let's just like, let's just call it out <laughs> let's just let's just talk about it so <laughs> yeah so I identify as non-operative um it's new language that I'm learning myself I think yeah I think um the the language that we hear the most is pre and post-operative which I think implies that uh every trans person is in some form of, of that either you haven't had it or you're, you have had it because everyone wants it. Um, when I heard non-operative that clicked with me, I, I don't at this, and it could change, but at this point in my life, I don't feel genitally dysphoric. Um, so I have a penis. It's out there. It's out there. But you know, when I came out, um, I, I don't think of, of that part of my body as male. Um, I, I'm, I'm not delusional. I understand that I don't have a vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and each trans person gets to um, define and explore and name their body the way that they want to. Um, but for me, I, I stopped comparing and measuring myself and and valuing that part of my body inside male standards when I came out. So I understand it's it's a unique sex organ that I understand is not a vagina, but it also is not like a male sex organ. It's not a penis in that that way. So the hormones affect, um, you know, the size, it changes in size and also it affects your ability to um, maintain erection depending on what kind of hormones you take. I wrote about this on my Instagram. Um, you know, I think I learned that there are three kinds of erections. So there's um, morning wood is because the testosterone settles in your body overnight as you sleep. And so that's what causes morning wood. And then there's um, erection through arousal. And then there's spontaneous erection uh, that happens throughout the day, which I learned um, is to maintain um, organ health and mm-hmm. to maintain the health of the tissue. Because what happens for a lot of trans women that nobody talks about is that the tissue in your genitals can atrophy if you stop getting erections. So for a lot of trans women um, who are extremely dysphoric, uh, erection can be very triggering and it can it can feel very masculine and male. But what they what a lot of doctors are not telling trans women is that if you don't um, if you don't have erection the blood flow is not happening and it can the tissue can atrophy which can actually affect your surgery and it can affect the depth that you can achieve through through bottom surgery so for trans women who are extremely dysphoric and who want bottom surgery that that surgery can be compromised you know or affected based on your hormone level so um i had my I had no idea that yeah. Had yeah so uh and what can happen is is when you do have an erection it can be extremely painful mm-hmm. so i didn't know i was taking my t-blocker and just i i remember i didn't have an orgasm for three months and i didn't even miss it I didn't even know. I had like completely forgot. <laughs> There's female hormones, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I just, you know, it just, it, I, when I first started my hormones, it just disappeared and I had no idea. Um, and then I think a year or two in, I had s- some sexual experiences 
for the first time and there was extreme pain and it really like stressed me out because at that time I wasn't super comfortable with um, anal sex and being a re- being receptive and but I also don't identify I'm not really also into using my sex organ for penetration either and so I had this kind of like mind-blowing really depressing period of my life was where I was like oh well like if I and I'll speak in kind of like gay terms but if I can't bottom and I don't top like what is my sex life gonna look right. like you know, was left. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I did, I spoke to my doctor about it and she was like, well, maybe you need to like, she, you know, she said exercise, you know, and, and the, you know, what that means is, you know, to masturbate. Mm. And I think that I, I, I wonder if there's an opportunity there for medical professionals to use that kind of language with trans women to make sure that they are are like healthy and that right. their that their organs can can be healthy for surgery if that's what they need and, and require because I just that stressed me out when I heard that yeah you know that, that it can affect yeah. it can affect the quality of your surgery for sure. you know so um, I guess that was like a bit of a tangent but I wonder if but do you feel like a lot of doctors don't know that I think it's just or just aren't. I think it's dark and uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I think because the majority I think of trans people are dysphoric. And so there's just kind of this like discomfort around talking about those kinds of things in yeah. general. You know, I wrote I I started a, a conversation on Instagram called hash it's a hashtag called 30 days in transition. Um and I I started it because I felt like the the narrative that was being presented of, of, of our community was very narrow. And so we were kind of telling one narrative in social and on social media, in media and in film and TV. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create a conversation amongst our community that cis people could click on the hashtag and see how diverse our experience mm-hmm. was. So I, I posted 30 self portraits in 30 days. And every day I talked about a different aspect of my transition. Um, I, I do 30 days posts every once in a while still. Um, you know, I really want the conversation to continue to grow. I, I'm hoping that as my platform grows, I, I can continue to use that hashtag and promote it. But, you know, it was so interesting. Like some of the, the hardest posts for me to write were the ones that people responded to the most. Mm-hmm. And one of the posts that, you know, was was one of the big ones is I wrote about female erections. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wrote about my experience with with erection and it was like so scary for me to post it and to talk about it. But it was um, beautiful and amazing, the response and and how people, so many girls were like, yeah, me too, pain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. You know, and nobody nobody talks about it. Yeah, well, you know? I read all of your I had read all of your posts that mm. you did for that month, and I was that was one of the ones I learned the most on because mm. it's like, and as a another trans person, I didn't yeah. know any of the stuff that you have sh- that you shared in that post. Yeah, like, that was all brand new, and seeing right now, like this is all brand new. Yeah, and for me to be in the same community as you and mm. have no clue that that's something that you or other trans women go through. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Because like how, you know, how are, are trans masculine or even non-binary people supposed to support trans women if we don't even know that that's something that's going mm-hmm. on or vice versa. Like, yeah. If you don't know what we go through. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I think that's like a big part of why we try to share these, yeah. these stories. Yeah. Like, we try to 
I think it's why yeah. people pigeonhole other people out is because yeah. they can't understand or they right. don't want to because it maybe invalidates their transness. If your right. story isn't the same as mine and my story yeah. isn't the same mm. as his, then we all can't be trans. Right. right. Yeah. Like we can't be the same community. Yeah. Yeah. But that's bullshit. Right. Absolutely. Hesitancy of because I feel like maybe we don't belong, then I won't want to learn. Right, yeah. you know. right, and I don't want to share my own story. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense Absolutely. for this. Man. The we all just have to. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I haven't known any of this. Right? Yeah. You know? So, like, but the full circle moment with coming back to like dating is is that because my partners are pr- are predominantly cis men. You know, they also have no idea, and right. so they're treating my they're treating parts of my body like they treat the the mm-hmm. same part on their body, yep. and. No, you know, right, right. my kitty's different, you know, mm-hmm. she's very sensitive and you cannot do that to her, okay, <laughs> you know, and so, and it's, it's, it's weird how they also adjust and they have to think about, you know, like, oh, it's, it's, I don't, oh, you don't like that right. or it's different, but you how know. how are they supposed to know if there's nobody sharing those things whether it's you or whether it's somebody else in the community you know how is anybody supposed to know I had an interaction with someone online where they were saying you know they asked me if I was pre or post operative and I was just very at my wits end that day and I kind of let him yeah and I kind of let (laughs) and I kind of let him have it and he said oh I didn't mean to be disrespectful I've never encountered this kind of sensitivity from the trans women that I've talked to before Mm. And part of me was like, well, that's because misogyny is real yeah. and no trans woman has ever felt like she was able to tell you to back the right, fuck off, right. you know? And I would drop the F-bomb for the first time. That's okay. Okay, cool. Oh, I said bullshit earlier. Okay. Shit fuck kind. Okay. And, you know, I just like, uh, you know, and I think that that's, that's a thing, you know? I think that, that, uh, that trans women suffer from misogyny in a really different way than cis women because it's like they're it's like new yeah it's so it's in a lot of ways it can be like more violent Mm -hmm. because it can be so unusual i don't think it's i don't think it's right that cis women are socialized inside Mm -hmm. misogyny i think it's awful but there's this there's something to be said about like not knowing that it could be better or that 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 there's you know that and also there not all cis women experience misogyny you know but but you know but i i think that like this idea that that the way that men talk to us and and treat the majority of trans women it's like it's just it's just fascinating kind of like sticking up for myself but also realizing like oh wow like you know, is that not a thing? I imagine it feels kind of isolating too. Yeah. To be like, to be socialized or raised like, at least with some sort of male privilege or whatever, mm-hmm. and then now you're on this other side, and you kind of know certain things. Like you said yeah. before, you know things that other maybe cis women have never, they're never gonna know. Yeah. And I don't know. That feel it sounds isolating. Yeah, I feel <laughs> well because so, something was taken away from me. Right. You know. Right. Even if you didn't want it necessarily, or yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. However, you, you know, it. and we self socialize as well, mm-hmm. right? So I think that there's something to be said about the, those trans people who like always knew, right? You know that that they often self socialize in the gender that they see themselves in, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, Laverne said the other day in the Variety Roundtable, she, she said something like, um, "Everybody called me." 
a girl before my transition, and it wasn't until I came out that they started to call me a man. Wow. wow. Oh my God, everything. Wow. I live for her. Oh, she's right. like, that's, bumps. Yeah. yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> you know? Because I think, she, I think she and I maybe have, are of similar experience that like, you know, yeah, we, we, there was a period of our lives where, the, you know, culturally we were perceived as male, but like, I was shamed my whole life for being femme, right. you know? So it's like, yeah. And then it's interesting. I've been pretty fortunate, but they're, they're yeah, that's, yeah. Now that that like once you own it and you claim it as yours, then that's when people they say want to take that. it away from you. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the the binary is so oppressive. I said that earlier. I just think it's so ridiculous yeah. how you know, and also that that there's I also think, and I do speak about this a lot. I do think that trans women are held to an impossibly high standard mm-hmm. when it comes to um, the binary. When it comes to presentation when it comes to femininity um you know i think that to pass is a lot more challenging for trans women because of misogyny because because cis women are also you know like held to such a high standard but when you're talking about you know i mean i'm very self-conscious about my voice you know, I did go through the wrong puberty. And so the hormones for trans women, you know, are not going to affect my voice. I am an actress, so I chose not to do any vocal training because I felt like I spent so many years um, discovering my authentic voice in school that I doing vocal training to feminize my voice felt like I was going to like apply like a filter that mm. that it was. And I go back and forth because part of me is like, oh, or would I be unearthing a new authentic voice if I did vocal training. So I don't, I don't really know how I feel about it, but I've just chosen not to. And I'm just, you know, I'm a raspy, smoky girl. And (laughs) it is what it is. But you know, when I first came out, I felt so much pressure to perform femininity in order to be seen and perceived and valued as a woman. And I think that that can be really scary. And, and, and um, it's impossible because you can never be enough. Right. You know, someone's always going to cock you. You know, someone's always going to say that you're not pink enough. You're not soft enough, you know? And it's, so I, it took me a long time. It took me a long time to get to the place where, you know, and again, it's a product of my passing privilege, but that I can leave the house with no makeup on and still feel feminine. I can wear jeans and, and baggy clothes and things like that. And just, you know, still feel like a woman, but when I first came out, it was like I felt like I needed to wear dresses all the time and I needed to I couldn't leave the house without a full face of makeup on, you know, and I think that that's so it just wasn't my journey. Yeah. You know, I did. It's not really what I wanted, mm-hmm. but I, I did it like for a long. Yeah. yeah. And I love glam. I love to I love to glam, you know, but it, not all the time. It's was there like a turning point where you were like, oh, I'm finally comfortable not having to make sure my, I have makeup on or I'm dressed a certain way. Yeah, I, I, I think I wrote about it in one of my 30 days, but I, yeah, there was, I remember, um, so Gigi Gorgeous is so, so gorgeous. She's so, she's so beautiful. Yeah. And she, and she is like, 
I think she would be comfortable if I said, you know, like there's a lot of bubble gum and it's very, it's high femme, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of form fitting clothes, a lot of makeup, and it's just very glamorous, you know, the, her, her performance of, of gender and femininity mm-hmm. is very, is very feminine. And I remember she was in New York, this is years ago, she was in New York with Andrea Pajik, who was one of like the first, um, androgynous models who later transitioned um and one of them posted like they were they were kikiing and they were twirling in new york i think it was new york fashion week and they were in the back of an uber or a car or something like that and there's a there's a picture of the two of them so they're both beautiful blonde women and Gigi's get serving that high femme you know fantasy and andrea is like wearing this like baggy angora sweater with no makeup on and is just serving that kind of femininity. And I remember looking at that picture and being like, oh yeah, like women look different. Like women are allowed to play with the binary and with gender. This, you know, we, we get to define our femininity. And, and so like, me too then. Ah, like I can as well. And I remember that was like a big turning point because here were two trans women who were beautiful in their, their unique mm-hmm. ways and also in their very different ways, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that was a really like affirming moment for me. Yeah, it gave you a lot of permission. Yeah, yeah, it did. Which is great. Yeah. But I think that's like important why the, like, the visibility really matters mm-hmm. because seeing different types of people, mm-hmm. like like you just you literally just said that allowed you to come into this place of like, I, yeah. I have to do my makeup every single day to go out of the house. Yeah. And I mean, that's great. It's a, it's a privilege. Right, Yeah. right. But you were able those to hormones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I and I've had a couple of moments like that. So when I, I, t- I you know, I, I guess my dysphoria manifests sometimes when I think about my voice. And I remember seeing Jamie Clayton and hearing Jamie Clayton on Sensate, and that was super affirming for me. You know, I, I, she's got this beautiful, smoky tone to her voice, and. It was it was beautiful for me to see that and hear her um, on such an amazing, incredible show. So that was another moment for me that really gave me a lot of permission. Yeah, and I I hope that I get I can start to do that for people. And you know, I think I don't really see a lot of um, like influencers or or girl like trans women who. You know, I, I, I would like to think that I'm, I'm kind of like beating to the marching to the beat of my own drum a little bit and kind of painting my, I mean, it's all a performance, you know, the pictures that I could create and post, but I, I like really like posting pictures of me with like very little makeup on mm-hmm. and, and kind of like in, and kind of portraying that like in a different, in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? I did glam is like is fun, but it's like it's over there. It's secondary for me. It's not who I am. It's a lot of work. (laughs) And and when it comes to dating, yeah, my favorite thing to do is show up at a date with wet hair and no makeup. Like I just got out of the shower Mm -hmm. because I'm like you. You'll get her. You'll get high glam, Mm -hmm. Cassandra. Don't worry. You know. I'm gonna start there. Because I don't want, I think that there's, again, we circling back to like this impossible standard that we're held to. I don't want to set that as the precedent. Right. You know, I don't want to feel, yeah, I don't want to feel obligated to wear a full face of makeup and strip lashes every time we see each other. And I don't want, and I want to know that you are comfortable seeing me authentically. Right. 
and that this is a bonus. That's yeah. good. That just is fun for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Glam Cassandra. Yeah. You know? That's like... I think that's awesome, though. Yeah, for date night, yeah. you know? And yeah. Yeah. So, but that's <laughs> like just my, that. that's my own thinking. Sure. Because, yeah, I, I felt like I had to really reclaim glam me because I felt like it was being taken away from me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was kind of like the... Kind yeah. of used and you yeah. had to take more control. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. Was the expectation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, are we going to talk about what's happening in? If you want to talk about what's in happening Mar- in America, yeah, in America, in America right yeah, now. I live in Central Illinois, so I live in America. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I'm. <laughs> so I, I will be honest. I am a. a I do consider myself an activist. I consider myself a storyteller first. I consider myself an artist first and an activist second. Um, I'm doing my best. This is my first foray as a public figure, as someone who's like doing activism. Um, I also am an activist who like, can't watch the news mm-hmm. because it makes me cry mm-hmm. and I can't really handle it and it really breaks my heart. So unfortunately, like it does limit my ability to participate. Um, I feel like I'm more versed in like social politics and culture and, and I feel more comfortable speaking about those things. But, you know, it's a pretty scary, fucked up time that we're, we're living in right now mm-hmm. as trans people. Um, you know, these kinds of memos that keep getting leaked and these kinds of these ideas and ideologies that that the people in power are embodying and, and desiring and wanting for us mm-hmm. uh, can have can have real consequences, um, you know, and so the latest the New York Times got access to a memo and that leaked that the, that basically is hoping to uh, revert my understanding is is to basically say that uh, gender and sex are are linked are and that they are assigned at birth based on genitalia at birth mm-hmm. and it's only one or the other they didn't from my understanding they didn't leave room for intersex people I right. Right. they no. did not yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah pink and blue yep yeah yeah, yeah. so you know my understanding as a trans person and I had to learn this very quickly is that there's a difference between biological sex, gender, and sexuality, yep. right? So, um, and I, f- I find myself explaining that to people a lot. More, more often than you More often, thing. and yeah. you, know who, you know who gets really confused is gay men. Okay. Cis gay men are always like, well, do you date like straight or gay men? And I'm like, okay, listen. Let's break this down. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Right. Because what, what's inherent is that is they're thinking about my body. Mm-hmm. And they're gendering mm-hmm. yep. my biological sex. Yes. Yes. So they're associating my biological sex with maleness, with masculinity, mm-hmm. with man. You know, there's a difference between... And I, you know, who really gets their chromosomes or their X, Y, like who really gets that blood work done? Yeah. Like really? So who really knows? <laughs> right. But you know, so I, I get, and everyone has a different thinking about it, but I, I think that there, the, what I've found most comfortable is that there's like male and female, which is maybe like science adjacent. Mm-hmm. And then there's like men and women, which is like different, you know, that's not necessarily like it's not tied to like 
genes and science, mm-hmm. right? Like, what is a man? What is a what is what makes a woman? That to me is like, uh, yeah, for sure. And then, and then there's masculinity and femininity, which is all. And I'm of course speaking in the binary. And there's this yummy, delicious place in the middle, and also outside that we neglect and abuse consistently and constantly. But you know, there's masculine and feminine. And that, so the difference between, so there's biological sex and then there's your gender and then sexuality is like who you are attracted to, right? right? I guess the the quote is like, gender is who you go to bed as, your sexuality is who you go to bed with. Um, And I, so I find that, I explain that a lot to people that that they do, they think about those things as all being the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And all lumped in together. Yeah. And I think that they do affect each other, but not at the rate, uh, in the way that people assume that they do. I would say there is some affecting, but yeah, they're not one equals the other. You know? So I guess I would identify as like an AMAB straight trans woman. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I, I yeah, if we're talking about biological sex, I was mm-hmm. assigned male at birth. Right. We have no idea what my chromosomes look like. I've never done that kind of mm-hmm. blood work, but for this, you know, whatever, that's what we're going to assume. <laughs> and then, you know, my gender identity is trans feminine. I'm a trans woman, woman, this idea of like what that is, is defined by me and by the way I move through the world. And I'm, I identify as straight. Sometimes I, I, I use the word queer because I, but that's more a reflection on how I view my own body. And mm-hmm. I understand that many men who would be attracted to me might not strictly identify as straight because right. my body is queer. Right. And so I, that's my way of maybe meeting them there. And also I, my attractions are very diverse. I've just only had experiences with cis men Mm -hmm. so but i so that's why i use straight but then i think about queer because my attractions have definitely been diverse and and open in a different way so when we're talking about circling back to the new york times this memo you know this idea that these three different facets of the way we move through the world are are being so conservatively kind of like um, simplified in a way that's practically not going to work as well, you know, um, is really scary and and old school, you know, it's just so outdated to me. And this idea that, so what could happen if this kind of legislation moves forward is like, you know, states that are progressive and who understand the difference and and what for lack of a better term is like what the right thing to do is they might have their powers affected and limited because this is federal legislation that right. is being proposed right. so what happens when i go to get my driver's license renewed and california says hey we have to change it back mm-hmm. how how traumatic yeah. would that be you know as someone who has had gender affirming surgeries, you know, I had breast augmentation, I pass, 
I've been living full time for three years. Can you that that's just like trauma that is so scary to isn't think that about. The point? Isn't that what of the, course the it point, is. Right? You of know, course that's what they it want is. To do. They yeah. want us to be so traumatized that we're we not, don't leave the house. Or we don't live. You stop disclosing yeah. your trans status. Yep. Yeah. And you just go back into the closet. So mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's and then this idea, I, th- I, I am Ontario, which is the, the province of Canada that Toronto is in. Um, you know, they have gender X now mm-hmm. for people. California. I, California does as well, I believe. And, you know, that is imperative. Yeah. You know, and, and I, cause again, the binary is very oppressive, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like to have that be taken away and negated and, and it's just, it's just so it's really heartbreaking and, and yeah. scary so i think that um yeah i think it's terrifying but i think it's all something that that we all knew was going to happen when he got elected yeah. like if you would have asked us the day after like any trans person like what do you think is going to happen and like everybody well, but, else is like oh nothing's going to happen he's never going to pass yeah. anything like i was definitely afraid for everybody yeah like, i was like eventually it will well because come was down that to us. that first i remember cuz i had just moved to um, California, and I was living in Orange County at my grandparents' place while I was looking for an, uh, an apartment in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I remember that first week, there were mm-hmm. so many articles that, I mean, he he signed all those signed executive orders yeah, right, right away. Right away. Affordable care. That's why I pushed myself. I mean, I always knew that I wanted top surgery, but I do always say, like, my decision to have it when I had it was absolutely influenced mm-hmm. by him being elected mm-hmm. because he threatened to take away Healthcare. So I said, right. I need to have this done. Yeah. On December thirty first. The same with me. That's why I had my bell plastic. Yeah. The same yeah. Thing. Like I it was like waited. even though we knew that this was something that we were going to have, like right. I felt like maybe the urgency. Yeah. The, yes, the urgency. urgency. And then that there. added. I feel that and anxiety too. That if we didn't get this done right now, or if we would have had a hiccup, that yeah. wouldn't have allowed us to have our surgeries before that. Like this. The yeah. I think. Yeah. I think cis people don't really understand how like complex. And like how much bureaucratic bullshit is involved in a in a medical transition? How much work we have to put into you know the things that we want, but changing the paper for us to transition. Yeah, but changing the paperwork if that's something that you want to do is like a nightmare. It's like you know I had to you know, and also like I'm a dual citizen, so like I had you know like I changed my name legally in Canada. But I got the certificate and then, but they couldn't change my gender marker because my birth certificate was an American one. So they were like, you got to go to California. So I haven't changed my, my birth certificate and therefore I can't change my travel documents. So my passports, my Canadian and my American passport have my dead name and they have an ugly, ugly M on them. But I've, but I've been able to change everything else. Um, all my like banking information and my, my like, my state and province IDs uh, are aligned with how I identify. But, you know, if stuff gets passed, if legislation gets passed, it's like now there's like a paper trail that that says that I've done that, that I've changed these things. It's just, it's just so icky and ugly and it's just so none of your business. Like, it's just, it's just so disheartening. Mm -hmm. So there was a rally yesterday in um, Los Angeles and it was, you know, there were some amazing speakers who really like did a lot to kind of empower us and lift us up. You know, I think that it's just, it's so important to vote and, you know, I think it's never, yeah, you know, you have to make your voice heard in those ways, you know, and I think that, that, um, 
I never, it's not something I ever really thought about. Neither did I. That's privilege though, you know, when yes. you, when you don't have to think about that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and moving from comfortably identifying as androgynous, but ultimately cisgender and coming out as trans, you know, that's a loss of privilege. It's a loss of cis privilege. And so I was, I was faced with, you know, the reality. Yeah. The realities for our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very scary. It is. Mm-hmm. I, I've avoided reading things like you said too, because it's just like I read the me. news, I didn't want to divulge like yeah. delve into any more of like the details of it because I know it's just it's all going to be bad. Yeah. And it makes me very upset. <laughs> I'd rather focus on the other stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah. And just get through it. And I think too, I my heart really breaks for people who identify as non-binary mm-hmm. and gender non-conforming because it's just so it's already I imagine so isolating. As yeah. someone, well, as someone who lived androgynously, I I remember feeling so in between, mm-hmm. and th- and and some days like knowing that the in between was where I was my most powerful and my most beautiful, mm-hmm. but then some days just feeling so isolated and alone, yeah. Yeah. and like the binary is already affects people who don't uh, subscribe to it is so dramatically and to kind of turn the volume up on that with legislation is just, it's just, I feel terrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To to be told that you don't exist in in any realm is Mm -hmm. quite devastating. No matter how many times you come out and you tell, because it's always a constant I feel as like a non-binary person, like you're always having to have it yourself. Yeah. Because like if I get gender and validate yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like I do exist and I am a human. Like I, I am real. Mm-hmm. And like you may not think that I am who I say I am, but I am. So it just, it just doesn't really yeah. click for me. And like, and I don't know. I always go back to it's like it's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not even a lack of education. It's a violent eraser yeah. of non-binary and third gender people. Since yeah. They have existed. Yeah. Throughout the century. But from the beginning, from the beginning, and in some cultures were celebrated, and yes, some were ostracized, but others were celebrated as shamans and as healers, yeah, and, and everything else. And then, gods and goddesses, yeah, when you look back and then you realize the lens that history was written was white, male, of course, cis, yes, straight, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's it. And it's no wonder why we've been conditioned the way that we have, been. yeah. Yeah, I I think that the 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 religious texts in the Jewish culture, I think that the there's six different genders in that text, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, there's third gender in uh, in Hawaii and in uh, Indian. There's Japanese, yeah, uh, Hawaiian, and I think it's Ma. Fafafine, I think. Yeah, you know, I just there's yeah the uh, North American culture is so binary and conservative Uh, so i was telling someone the other day that i mean the people who created america left europe because it was too progressive yeah yeah they wanted those right well i don't know the the pilgrims or whatever they were like really mad that people were like starting to have sex and stuff and just started reading the queer history yeah yeah in the beginning of that book and that's exactly so the foundation You know, it's no wonder that that there's such a pushback and mm-hmm. and a calling back to that time is because that's how this country was founded. Mm-hmm. You know, on those kinds of conservative values. Yeah, and then how are we still here? 
We're back to that. I don't know. Perseverance. Oh, I thought you meant no, are we as no, trans people still? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> How is the mindset still in that? Well, so when place, I yeah, know? when I think about equity, I I feel like people who benefit from privilege, of which you know we all have access to privilege in our different ways. But if we're talking about the top of the the tier, right, our cis white men who are straight socialized or straight you know, class, mm-hmm. you know, they feel like equity means they're going to lose something. Right. That right. something's going to be taken away from them. We can have that. And I just, I always say equity for me, I think about it like a restaurant. So you, cis, white, middle, upper class man, straight, right? You can sit at the same table. Mm -hmm. You can still go to brunch every Sunday Mm -hmm. and you can sit at your same table. Um, Your food won't come any later. Mm -hmm. The menu's not going to change. You actually won't even see like that patio that you sit on. You won't actually see other guests that are joining, but there's people who want to eat at the same restaurant. Right. And there's actually room in the restaurant for them. You know, but it's actually not going, equity is not going to affect your dining experience. I like it a lot. TBH. So like, chill. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I I think. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an anecdote that I I find kind of like has helped my, me wrap my head around it. I feel like it's not even like necessary. And it is obviously. The kitchen's big enough to cook for everyone. It feels like, well, if someone has as much as I do, then I don't have as much as mm. I think I do. Yep, mm. yep. I'm not, or I'm not as special yeah. as I was Because if everybody has what I have, right. then I'm not special. Right, right. Yeah, but your, not your specifically, but mm. like that privilege is rooted in other people's oppression. Right. So like, no. Well, <laughs> Knock it off. Because it's an old tale that yeah. somebody always has to suffer. Right, that's what mm. you're taught growing up. It's mm. like, it's not so bad for you because people in other parts of the world have it less. Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. it's over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's conditioned. Someone's gonna have it worse off than you. And yeah. It's just the way of the world. You know? Yeah. It's like that's not how the world has to be. Yeah. 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 I For agree. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's a really exciting time that we live in when I think about equity. When I think about you know the visibility that we're experiencing, I I feel really honored to be on a on a soap opera. You know out and trans and that my character is trans I think it's really exciting and cool um you know and I I have to kind of like I have the, I have a tattoo on my wrist that says choose joy and you know I I I have to and I I used to this was my thing I used to say at the end of my drag shows I always used to say choose joy because the alternative is too easy I used to say that and I and I believe that you know in this time that we live in with Facebook and social media there's so much it's just so easy to buy into the negativity that the world is feeding us and I think that joy is a more powerful and dynamic choice that you can make you have the power to make. I also think it's important to distinguish that there that there's a difference between joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of joy is that the only way you can access joy, you have to be tethered 
between all states of being. And the only reason why I feel like I'm able to access joy, universal love, big love, uh, what I call ecstasy, you know, those moments where you feel like so truly alive is because I've touched grief and shame and I've been, I've been broken before and I feel tethered between those two places. Um, Brené Brown is, is such an incredible woman and I love her work around shame and around vulnerability. Um, her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, yes. changed my life. And she talks a lot about our discomfort around vulnerability causes us to numb mm -hmm. emotion, numb the inherent darkness that, we, that the human experience has to it. But what she says, and what I agree with, is you cannot selectively numb. Mm -hmm. So when you, her, her uh, image is, when you have a banana nut muffin and a couple of beers, you know, you're numbing the fact that, you know, you got stood up on the date or that you're waiting for the doctor to call if, and give you your results or you just got laid off. And so you have, she says, you have a couple beers and a banana nut muffin, <laughs> you know. But you also numb your capacity for joy, for, yeah. for ecstasy. So I think that that that, that there's so and our generation. I'm I am a millennial, and our generation is so wounded. I think that we were not taught emotional intelligence. No. We were not taught vulnerability, mm -hmm. and we were we were not taught how to be sad and and how to fail and it's having real consequences on our mental health and our ability to be present and i think that technology affects that i feel like um the food industry affects that you know our access to substance affects that you know um because these are all ways in which and and the economy affects that you know the ways that we can numb and I think that there's so many of of our of my generation, of the millennial generation who are suffering and they don't know how to get better. Because mm -hmm. we were never taught how to. They don't know how to feel, but, but they, because you can't, the human experience is, is a, has duality to it. You know, I, I believe in yin and yang. I believe in, in the aspects of, divine feminine and and the warrior you know i i think that the, the duality exists and that yummy place in between you know but i think that and the the flow between the two is where you find the the nuance right but but there's so much discomfort around the darkness that that is inherent in the human experience and and our generation is suffering, you know, we're, we're killing ourselves at, at an alarming rate. You know, we don't know how to cope with sadness and with vulnerability, with shame, you know, but we also don't know how to feel joy. A lot of us don't, you know, a lot of us don't know how to feel love. Dating. Oh my God. It's, it's crazy. You know, I, I count myself as really fortunate to have been suicidal. I mean, you know, I was in crisis mm -hmm. at a very young age. I was 14 years old and I was bullied so heavily my whole life at school and I was not well. I was so unhappy. And the reason why I say I'm thankful is because I was supported and intercepted 
and I went to psychotherapy at 14 years old. I was, I was pulled out of, I didn't go to a single gym class mm-hmm. in my grade nine year because I had to see a counselor every, every PE class. And the work that I did with my talk therapist, with my psychotherapist saved my life mm-hmm. and laid a foundation so that for me, I have tools and I have skills now around these, these inherent dark aspects of the human experience around, I know now I have, I'm not perfect, but I have access to a system of tools that allow me to navigate shame, grief, vulnerability, you know, all these things. And I'm so thankful because I see my partners, I see my peers, my friends, my coworkers, my lovers. I see so many people in my generation, in my, in my world who don't have those same skills, who are suffering. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to be loved. You know, this fuckboy culture that we live in, it's so non-committal because people don't know how to say, I love you anymore. We don't know how to be present with another human being. We don't know how to be connected anymore. It's not, it, it, it's so complicated. And, and I'm sure that there's a lot of science that goes into why mm-hmm. there's the, 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 the study of us and what's happening culturally to millennials, I'm sure is very, you know, complex. I think, again, I think technology really affects it. I think, you know, this idea that that we are connected through technology Mm -hmm. has taken away our ability to connect person to person. So it it affects sex. Mm -hmm. It affects it affects all of that. And so this kind of and I think that what I kind of. I'm understanding about fuckboy culture is like I want all the benefits of a relationship without the commitment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when well, I, only they get to have the benefits. <laughs> well, of course, right? of course. <laughs> because you start having well, the because they're not, you know, because it, you know, because you can't, you can't ask some, something of me. Yeah, I have right. nothing to give you, right? Because I don't know how to give to you, yeah. you know. But but I think that that kind of quiet desire for connection exists in all of us and 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 so how how do you reconcile with your desire for connection when you don't know how to have connection and i think that that's what's creating the dissonance Mm -hmm. in our community and in our in our uh cohort yeah you know yeah and then you add like trans right it's just a nightmare it's a night you know or you i mean yeah it's yeah. like i understand that like you know privilege helps you in so many ways but it's like as soon as you're you're not ticking certain boxes it makes all of this that we're talking about yeah. that much harder For sure. you know yeah. so many of my trans sisters i mean when i was dating the person that I just uh, ended the relationship with. And I told people, I told girlfriends of mine who are trans identified, the number one thing that they all said, the first thing they all said without fail was, wow, you're so lucky. Why? Because trans women don't date. We don't have, we don't have access to love in the same way that (sighs) the rest of the world does. Yeah. And and it was so tangible to, to hear that. And it was so kind of alarming to be seen as one of the lucky ones. Yeah. 
and you said you're heartbroken or whatever. As as a trans person, right. that I I got one. Right. I got to taste love, you know. Um, Jay Brennan is this amazing singer songwriter from New York, and one of his one of his lyrics was the hardest thing I ever earned was a chance in the ring. And I used to I used to think about that a lot before my transition when I felt very kind of like unable to be seen as a sexually viable person, as a romantically viable person. Yeah. Um, that was maybe some of the darkness that I experienced living androgynously. And, and I, I don't know if you want to speak to that, if you've ever experienced that. But, you know, I think that that sort of like... Because people, people, the binary people, people think about romance and love and sex in such a binary way. And when you don't fit into their narrow idea of binary, then you are no longer viable. Mm -hmm. You're not a partner. You're not an option as a partner. And that, that was, I always felt like, I always felt like the friend who gave really good relationship advice, but was never in a relationship. Yeah. I never got to be in a relationship. Yeah. Everybody else is reaping the benefits. Yeah. 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 You know, and I felt like my whole life I was, I was like building up my, my like love language. Yeah. You know, I was learning how to, how to, but, but by witnessing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know, this relationship that I just got out of, I mean, I learned a ton by doing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it was, I feel, I, I do feel lucky in that way. It was amazing. Yeah. I got to really like stretch my heart muscles and, mm -hmm. and kind of feel that capacity. And I want that for everyone. Yeah. You know, love is scary, mm -hmm. but it's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's why we're here. Right. You know, connection is why we're here. Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so heavy. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but beautiful. Oh, beautiful, yes, for sure. You know, I would, I'm, my, you know, when I was bullied a lot, I used to come home crying a lot to my mom. Um, my parents are separated. And uh, my dad was amazing. I just, this was more something that my mom and I shared. And, you know, I used to say like, oh, I just wish it was easier. I just wish it was easier. I just don't understand why, you know, everyone's treating me so poorly. And I just wish, I wish, I, I wish, I wish, I wish. And, you know, my mom would say, oh, like, you want your life to be perfect. You know, you want to have all the answers. You want, you want no conflict. Yeah. You know, and I'd say yes. And she's like, well, that's not why we're here. Right. Yeah. You know, this was a hard truth that my mom gave me as a preteen at 13 years old. <laughs> but it's something that I've carried with me. And she said, you know, if life, if your life is wrapped up with a bow and everything is perfect and easy, mm -hmm. then you're done here. Yeah. And, and you can move on to whatever's next, right. whatever you believe is next. Mm -hmm. you, you know, my mom said, you know, then, then, yeah. but that's not why we're here. Right. We're here to, to crawl mm -hmm. and 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 struggle and touch and and that's that's why we're here yeah. you know and and the that's okay yeah you know it's scary yeah definitely you know it's supposed to be scary right yeah, yeah. but vulnerability is is the 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 gateway to the most uh, ecstatic mm -hmm. experience like once you get over that it makes it all worth it yeah, yeah you know for like sure you definitely i feel like every time after a vulnerable moment i always have that like that click that realization of like mm -hmm. oh yeah it wasn't as bad as i thought <laughs> yeah. it was going to be and i got so much more out of being vulnerable and being yeah. open and being honest than all of the suffering that i was mm. kind of doing to myself mm. by keeping yeah you know, from speaking my truth I think like vulnerability and I, I think a lot about mindfulness as mm -hmm. well that goes hand in hand with that, that like, 
And I, and I, I say that to a lot of people who I think struggle with vulnerability, like my friends or people that I've loved or like, you know, that, that it's like, if you can, if you can attach mindfulness to vulnerability, then you're understanding that like this moment, like me crying right now, or like me feeling shame, like as I literally breathe in and exhale, it's already something else. It's right. like in the imp- mindfulness is about impermanence, right? That, that everything is fleeting, mm-hmm. you know? And so this idea that like, oh, well, I'm still crying in this breath, but it's a different it's different. Mm-hmm. Every everything is nothing is the same as before, yeah. you know. And sometimes I think that that's a way to maybe like be okay with vulnerability mm-hmm. is to know that it's not permanent, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and that you you will not cry forever. Yep. You know, I think I think a lot of yeah. people I think a lot of people think that when they think about touching that dark place, yeah. that vulnerability, they go, well, what if I never come out? Right, right. What if the well is so deep that I never come out? Mm-hmm. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. They're going to come out. And I think you know? also to remember, like, you may find yourself there again. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yes, it's of okay. course. That's completely fine. Yeah, I, ta- I, ta- I talk about the tether, being yeah, tethered, exactly. tethered between those two yeah. places. Yeah. yeah. These are lessons that I learned, you know, in therapy. But also I think that as, as someone who's trans, when you, when we were talking earlier about perspective, mm-hmm. you know, these are, these are, there's like, there's like planes that I've been able to see and, and like touch and access because of my transition, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, um, yeah, like the tether is not just in emotional states. It's mm-hmm. also like inside yin and yang and inside the binary and then none of the above and all of the above, oh, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Philosophy. I right? know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I think it's just hard to like even figure out where to begin sometimes, you know? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. But mindfulness is, yeah. Super I'm not this intense always. <laughs> but the intense is good. I like it. I know. Sometimes it's just it's like it's like quietly there. Yeah. yeah. All the time. The quiet intensity. Yeah. yeah. I guess I've been told I'm very intimidating. I think that that's what I, that is. That's it's my vulnerability. I find you're intimidating though, in, in a challenge in a positively challenging way. Yeah. Like it it pushes people. I want mm-hmm. it to be an invitation. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And that, you know? That's how I interpret it. Yeah. For what it's worth, like that's mm-hmm. how I see it very much. Yeah. I mean, funny story that's not so funny, but I had I had a I had a a best friend who as a product of being in my proximity touched some of his vulnerability mm-hmm. in a in a way that was very dis- uncomfortable for him. Okay. And he said to me and it it actually ruined our friendship. Mm. And he said to me, "Well, Cass, you you like when your loved ones are miserable, which was so hurtful for me. And what I never said to him, but I wanted to say to him was, oh no, but honey, you are miserable. Right. I just helped you see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And only by seeing will you ever be able to be not mm-hmm. miserable. If you don't Absolutely. even know that you're unhappy. Yeah. You need the awareness. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I... I yeah, I have. I think about my transition sometimes. It's like I have. I also have a crystal tattoo oh, that nice. I got when I transitioned, um, and I think I the the kind of 
image that I say is that you know like a piece of coal undergoes mm. great pressure to become a beautiful diamond yeah. we as trans people often undergo great pressure be- yes. before we become brilliant to the light I love that but when I think about myself as a crystal crystals reflect light mm-hmm. but they also reflect shadow yes. and I think that um, to be in the presence of a crystal can be very challenging sometimes Absolutely. and very scary Absolutely. so that's been maybe my lot in life is Mm -hmm. that sometimes the mirror that I don't even really mean Mm -hmm. to hold up um I'm I've I've learned how to maybe censor that sometimes a little bit because I you know well not every not everybody (laughs) wants to not everybody (laughs) wants to work on themselves you know self-work is not for everyone some people just prefer to live in that 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 in between that numbness that 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 middle that's more comfortable yeah being uncomfortable in that way that's okay yeah exactly that's okay that's a a choice that people get to make yeah yeah our relationship will be very light. Yeah, then. exactly. <laughs> <You know? Binary. laughs> I don't know how how deep we're gonna get. Yeah. See, that kind of circles back to the dating and like the the general preference. Yes. Whatever. Yes. It's like whenever I get addressed with that kind of question, my immediate thought is like, you're not open or like adventurous or open minded enough to have anything that would resemble what I would want to be with. Mm-hmm. Like if that's yeah. what yeah. your first thing is, like, oh yeah, like we're not gonna connect on these levels of Mm -hmm. thinking about the world in any way like this isn't gonna work (laughs) and that's where that's where i don't identify as straight that's where i identify as queer because when i think about love and when i think about connection it's not straight it's not it's not simple like that yeah you know it's like it's deep yeah and it's complex Mm -hmm. and it's like circular and like expand and expansive thing yeah very get-go then we're not gonna be able Mm -hmm. to talk about Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I go, they weed themselves out really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I go back and forth. I have I have periods of my life where it, it it where I think about being in a very kind of like light, binary, very affirming relationship that's not deep. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it, mm-hmm. you know? And that, you know, I was like, oh, like, you know, my partner will never, never like he'll never understand my artist he'll just come with with the flowers to my openings you know or to the red card you know but he'll never really but he'll never really understand and 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 then other days i'm like no i need it all i need it all i need all the good good you know i want to get all juicy but but (laughs) yeah so the the pendulum swings yeah always (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of the transitional wisdom podcast If you feel you would like to share your story or if there is a topic you would like us to discuss, please email us at nash at transitionalwisdom.org or visit our website at transitionalwisdom.org. Make sure to subscribe and throw us a few stars if you feel like it. And hey, thank you. Who knew this would happen? A magic potion could save my life. Who knew that these feelings had a name? I'm worthy of change, same as you are. Mirror, mirror, don't you judge me.